Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Julie McFadden, also known as Hospice Nurse Julie. Julie makes videos about death and dying and has become a viral sensation overnight, amassing over 600,000 subscribers on TikTok alone. She has been written about in Newsweek and her articles have appeared in various other publications. And today she joins us on the podcast. Julie, thank you so much for joining us and welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Well, I read about you, and what I read is that you used to be in the intensive care unit and you switched over to palliative care. What made you decide to do that? Through working in the ICU. (laughs) I was, yeah, I was in the ICU for nine years, which, whoo, now that I'm not there, you know, I've been out of the ICU for about five. Uh, I can't believe I made it that long. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't actually regret it because I learned so much, but working in the ICU, and I'm sure if there's any ICU nurses listening, you know, I can't imagine working in the ICU um, during this period of time. I mean, let, but let alone back then, it was it was also hard for me anyway, just to um, the stress levels and the things you see there uh, just made me want to do life and death um, a different way, you know? So, I, I, I tried it. It took me nine years, but I did eventually switch over to palliative care and hospice because I just thought there has to be, I was, you don't see death all the time in the ICU, but um, there's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of like lack of communication. I feel like between healthcare workers and families and patients, and I just wanted to do it another way. And I'm really glad I've learned another way, um, which is hospice and palliative care. So that's how I got here. Right. Well, what made you choose hospice versus you could have chose like working in the NICU or, or, you know, something else? I think because there were certain times, and again, not everyone in the ICU dies, right? We definitely are helping people and keeping people alive and they get out of the ICU. Um, But a lot of people don't. And they um, are kept alive in these beds for months on end until eventually we have to tell the family there's no more we can do. And by that time, this person is a shell of themselves. They never really wake up. They don't get to go home and enjoy their last few months because they've been in this bed, right? And hooked up to machines and X, Y. It's much, I'm I'm generalizing. I'm making it less complicated than it actually is. It's very complicated, but I just had a few a few instances where I thought 
we really should have intervened with this patient and this family, you know, months ago and said, here's your two options. You know, you're, you're going to die. That's it. Here's your, do you want to do it here or do you want to do it at home? And I feel like most people would say, I want to go home if that's, if that's definitely what's going to happen. And I do think there are circumstances when we can say that's definitely going to happen. You know, uh, I, I know people want to always hold out this whole miracle thing, which I'm not against at all. And I have witnessed miracles, I think. Um, but I just think it's, I just saw some, I just felt like it was unfair. And if I thought that was unfair, what's the other side of that? And that's where I started getting interested in death and dying and hospice and palliative care. And what would look, what would the other side look like if they were to go home and not stay in the ICU? Um, and I had so I had a weird interest in death and dying as well. <laughs> I don't know why, but I did. And um, so I thought, you know what? I've been doing this long enough. I was super burnt out. So I was going to do something. I didn't know what, but I had to do something. So I was very burnt out. Um, so I just thought, I'm just going to jump and see what happens. And and um, it was a big learning curve, but I'm really glad I, I did it. Prior to becoming a hospice nurse, have you ever had any supernatural or paranormal experiences in your life? So I would say yes. I think in general, um, I've always been a seeker of, you know, I can remember being a very little girl and 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 having and like having existential crises, like as a five-year-old, being like, "Why are we here? What are we doing? What am I doing?" who are my parents? Like, where were we before? I can remember like really asking my parents those kind of questions. Like, well, where was I before I was born? You know what? So even as a young girl um, and woman, I would, I would definitely, I would consider myself like a seeker of the mysteries of life. And as far as paranormal stuff, I think as a child, I would see, I actually haven't talked about this in a very long time, but if I'm talking about this, yes, I don't know what it was, but as a child, I definitely had um, weird experiences where I can remember telling my mom, and you know how when you're, I was very little, so four or five years old, I don't really remember the memory, but it's something like I saw a thing, a, a, like a thing in my mom's room, like an imaginary friend, but it, or, or we could call it a ghost, or when I was little, I didn't call it those words. I was just telling my mom, no, there was like, a thing in your room. I saw it. I was talking to it. Now it's gone. I don't know what happened. And I don't even remember her explanation to me, but I like things like that happened a lot when I was little. Um, and, you know, even now as an adult, I don't know what it was, you know, I don't know, but I know that I had a lot of things like that happen. Um, and I was very interested in the paranormal. I read like all of Sylvia Brown's books and my friends used to joke and say, uh, you know, those superlatives, like senior superlatives when you're a, like a senior in high school, like most likely to whatever, most yeah. likely to, they used to joke and say, I'd be most likely, um, most likely to be in a cult. Wow. <laughs> I was so interested in like what they thought strange things. Um, and it, I mean, it was a joke, but it was like, uh, so I don't know if there's like real specific things, but I was always into it. And then, of course, um, this is the last thing I'll say. When I was young, you know, in my 17, 18, 19, like formative teenage years, um, I lost very close friends, like tragically. So 
after that, I was always seeking for answers, right? And seeing mediums and psychics and uh, just because I was in pain, you know, and I wanted to know if they were okay. I saw a video on your TikTok where you talked about that and you actually had contact. Can you tell yeah. the audience about that? Yeah. So it was years later. So I lost my, uh, my best friend was killed in an accident when I was 17, which is super formative. You know, I, uh, it's just, yeah. I mean, I actually do feel like I've been very healed from the story I'm about to tell you. But prior to that, it was like a huge thing that really defined me and defined who I was. And uh, yeah, so for years, I would like seek out psychics and mediums to try to talk to my friend. And nothing ever came through enough for me to feel like that it mattered, right? And then I kind of went on a different path of just sort of um, going to therapy and doing meditation and just different things. Instead of seeking um, answers through psychics and mediums, I just uh, tried to heal other ways. And then, um, I don't know how long, maybe seven years ago. I don't actually know how long, but yeah, we'll say seven. Um, a friend of a friend like reached out and gave me some guy's number. Uh, I don't remember his name. I don't, it was like on a piece of paper. Like this guy is really great. You should call him. He's amazing. He doesn't even call himself a psychic medium. He just um, does these really cool readings. And I hadn't really been interested in it in a long time. So I was like, oh, no, I don't really care. I don't have anyone to really, I don't really need that right now. Uh, but this girl was like, you've got to do it. This guy's amazing. So I did. And I remember thinking, if I hear from my friend, Shauna, that's that's my friend's name. Uh, he ha He can't say her name. He has to say the nicknames. He has to say our nicknames because our nicknames were very specific. And no one really knows them. And it's been you know, over 10 years since she died. Like no one should know any of this. And I will only believe it's her if he says her, if he says the nicknames, um, which you never, you never really should do with a medium. But <laughs> anyway, he did. That's the first thing he said. That's the first thing he said when we got on the phone. There's a young woman here. She's excited. She's excited to see you. She's jumping up and down. She's, it's like she's at a party. And she's not calling you by your name, but she's calling you by this nickname. It's super weird. It's like a masculine nickname. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to like kind of do what she's doing. She's like jumping up and down and calling you Butch and Butchie. And that was my nickname, Butch or Butchie. And I called her Ralph. Mm -hmm. And so he was just going, she's jumping up and down and going, Butch, 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 Butch. I can't believe you're here. I can't believe you're here. And of course, like, it makes me want to instantly cry right now just hearing it because it was like, 10 years of grief like fell off of my shoulders and off my chest. And I was just like sobbing, 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 sobbing uncontrollably. I'm sure this guy was like, what the hell? <laughs> what the hell did I just say to this girl? And truth be told, not much else was said in the reading except for like, she just wants you to know she loves you. She's so happy. And, but there was something about that. Like it just, I don't know if you've ever experienced that. It was like that weird connection that somehow flipped the switch and just helped all of this grief like fall away from me. And he didn't say much of anything profound after that, I, you know, it was just, she's okay. Um, she shows me you guys having a lot of fun back in the, you know, very general stuff, but there was something about that one moment that was like it for me. And it just was, beautiful and amazing and very, very healing, very healing. Even to this day, it's like, 
that relationship of ours like means so much to me, but it doesn't, it's not this like heavy weighted carry thing that I carry around anymore that like I used to. I just don't because I know it's okay. And I feel like she's kind of gone in a good way. Something about it feels way much further from me now than this close, heavy thing that I hold on to. You also have another video and what we would call here a shared death experience with one of your previous patients. Can you share that with the audience? Yeah, that's also very amazing. So that was a video I did. I do. I try to do series on TikToks where I um, like one of the series was different phenomena that happen at the end of life. Right. And then this series was I'm a hospice nurse who's not afraid of death. And here's why. Because I think there's a lot of fear around death. Obviously, it's the unknown. It's scary. Um, and so here's why, and the reason why, the third reason why, which I held out talking about, because I try to stay very, um, you know, like scientific based on my channel. I'm a nurse and I'm educating about death and dying, but there are these things that I have, that I feel like I'm going to talk about because this is a reason why I don't fear death. So it was a gentleman that we got really, I mean, I get, I get close to a lot of my patients, but this guy is like my favorite of all time. Um, I wish I had a picture of him. I don't have one, um, just for me to have, not to share, but I just, uh, I'm sure I'll see him again. But so he was on our service for a long time. We really took care of him. He didn't have any, um, family or close friends. So it was like us and the team and him and I had so many philosophical conversations over his death journey and the end of life journey. And, um, at the end of his life, we had a nurse bedside caring for him 24 hours um which doesn't happen a lot by the way i always preface that because i don't want people on hospice to think that this happens all the time it usually doesn't but we had a person a nurse sitting bedside with him and i was just there um checking in on her checking in on him and he was actively dying meaning i could tell he was going to die within a few hours most likely fully unconscious. Um, but I was still like talking to him in my head and just like thanking him for our friendship and like wishing him all the best, yada, yada. Then I leave and I'm in my car getting ready to go to my next patient. But I was still sort of thinking of him and just like wishing him all the best. And as I was doing that, suddenly in my head, I could hear his voice and, um, suddenly feel this like feeling of total freedom and exuberance and almost like almost like wind blowing on me right but like obviously not I'm in a car just sitting there but that's what the, it's hard to describe because it's like a feeling I try to explain but also nothing you can explain so it's just like overwhelming feeling of like freedom and exuberance and like flying and like you're in the air and feeling a uh, total joy and I could hear his voice telling me how wonderful it was. So he was, I feel like, I feel like he was in the process of crossing over and he was more amazed and just sort of taking me with him going, Oh my gosh, Julie, if I would have known, I can't believe how good it is. It's better than I, than I ever could have imagined. It's so good. It's so good. And not saying much except for that over and over again. Oh my gosh, Julie, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And it felt like he was soaring. And I felt like he felt, what are the he felt? He was making me feel like just total freedom, total release, total joy, total 
um, ex like ex exuberance is the best word to use. And like I was flying, but not scary. Because when I say that, I think I don't want to be flying. But like it felt good. It felt good. And I was like weeping in my car instantly because it was just so profound. And he was just saying, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe it, Julie. Um, and he was just so happy. And then it died down. And I was kind of shell-shocked in my car and still crying and sort of like, whoa, what was, what was that? And then my phone rang and it was a nurse inside saying he had died. And I was thinking, I know, because he just showed me what it was like. And I didn't say that because I barely knew the woman. And I just said, thank you so much. Um, you know, and I got off the phone and I was just, yeah. And to this day, it's like, I feel like he gave me such a gift. He gave me such a gift at the end of life to like share that with me. Um, and it's something that I feel like I've already known, but it's one, but it's cool to, or cool, cool is not the word. It's, it's, it's astounding to feel it, you know, and to kind of share that experience. How did you change after you had that experience? You know, it just was more of a, more of a, okay, like a validating feeling because I feel like I've already felt that way uh maybe not dying but just this energy this feeling of like oh this is what the world this is what reality is which is we're okay everything's okay um even when i'm not even when we're not dying right like just in general i feel like i have felt the feeling of for lack of a better word god where it just feels like all-knowing and like i always say I, i'm not afraid of death because i feel like i'm going to go home that's and i've always felt like that so then to have this experience, it was more, it was just very validating to be like, oh, wow, okay, I can kind of trust my gut and trust my intuition that that's, I, I was right. This is what it is. This is how good it's going to feel. Because I was thinking that all along. Thank you for showing me that. Hmm. Um, so it didn't, it did, it just changed me in the sense of made me more confident in, in my beliefs, right? And really solidified that like I'm not just it doesn't feel like I'm just trying to make myself feel better you know it feels like this really is I don't know what it is but I do feel like it's not the end you mentioned phenomena so can you share with us some of the phenomena that you see happening that medical doctors and nurses can't explain why they're happening yeah and I love making sure I tell everybody that um, this is like stuff we put in our educational books. So this is not me just sort of saying, listen to the anecdotal things I've experienced, right? Which is, I mean, I have, but also hundreds of thousands of other people working in the death and dying realm have as well, which is, which is why we actually educate families and patients about it. So when it starts happening to them, they're not like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> and one of the biggest things, which happens to almost everybody is seeing, uh, so the person who's dying will see um, dead loved ones who have already died. Um, I don't, usually relatives, but not always, because some people don't want to see their relatives. But, you know, so they're usually loved ones who make them feel comforted, or pets, or angels, they'll say angels, um, um, or they'll hear music, or they'll hear, they'll hear choirs, or um, they'll have dreams of people they know saying they're coming to get them to go home or it's okay you're going to come with us next week or um, just being with them until they die 
and they'll talk loose openly and lucidly so they're not confused this is like they're lucid um and so that's the one that's that's one there's there's several others but that's the one that's the biggest one that happens to most people now there's an obvious difference between what they're seeing and them hallucinating right correct yes like i know what hallucinations delusions ICU psychosis, which I saw all the time in the ICU, um, very different. This is, um, yeah, so one, those three things are usually associated with agitation and restlessness. There's usually some form of agitation or restlessness along with that. This is not like that. And usually, so not always, sometimes like on their deathbed, people will be saying, they'll say their mother's name or something before they die, which is also amazing. I love that. But what I'm talking about is usually about a month before someone dies. So we as clinicians actually use it to help us know when someone's going to die. So Mm -hmm. if someone's on hospice and they're saying, you know, last night I saw my grandma or like last night, my brother came to me in my room and sat right down here and we talked and I don't know what to make of it. I feel like I'm going crazy. That to me will cue (laughs) that like this person's probably going to die in a month. Mm. And they usually do. That's an interesting timeline. One month. I would figure it would be yeah. like one day or one week. Yeah, no. So so I do think people can say like, um, like when it's very close, like a couple of days, they'll say like, they'll call out for their mom. That's a common one. Call out for their mom, call out for their dad, their brother, like someone who is really close to them. Um, we see that. But this, this the visioning, we call it, visioning where you, where you really are having like, um, visions or visitations from people, it's usually about a month, usually about a month out. Hmm. And they're usually very vivid and very matter of fact. And they actually can see them. So some, sometimes there's dreams. Sometimes they'll say, you know, I had a really vivid dream about my uncle and blah, 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 blah. That's usually about a month out. But you, so sometimes dreams, but usually it's them seeing them very clearly. Do they ever seem shocked that you can't see them? Sometimes. Usually, so it depends. If someone has dementia where they're already kind of confused anyway, their form of reality can be a little off. So they don't know that they're not, you know, they don't know that they're talking to someone who's already dead. So it can be a little more confusing, a little more gray in that area. But people who are, um, people who are really lucid otherwise, which they usually are when they're seeing this, they're not usually confused. Um aren't shocked that we're not seeing them. They're more shocked that they are seeing them. They're more shocked. Like they'll ask me like, what the heck is happening? Or they'll take me aside. They don't want their family to know what's happening to them. Hmm. They'll kind of whisper it to me. Like this is what's going on. (laughs) What's happening. But dementia patients can sometimes be shocked. Like what the heck don't you see? No. Because someone will say like, Joe's not here. And they'll be like, yes, he is. He's right there. He's talking to me. You know, so, but they're also usually some kind of dementia and confusion. It's still very, really interesting. I usually just tell everyone to go with it. Don't argue. (laughs) Just go with it. What about reaching to heaven? I know. Yeah. I love that. I just saw it the other day. So that, so sometimes people will call that terminal agitation. Uh, Terminal agitation to me is much different than the heaven reach or the death reach. Um, but some people will say that's just terminal agitation. I disagree, but uh, it's when they're reaching up or just one hand or both hands 
and it looks like they're seeing someone or reaching for someone are very preoccupied with whatever it is they're seeing because you can try to talk to them and try to say, hey, you know, like if um, the person's kids are around, you know, they're trying to be like, what are you reaching for? What do you need? And it's like they can't even hear or see them. They're just very focused on whatever it is that they're looking at on the ceiling usually and or in the corner and reaching for something or um, grabbing for someone. Sometimes they're smiling, sometimes they're not. Um, and it happens all the time. It happens all the time. I just saw it the other day. Do you think that people are suffering when they're dying, like when they're having difficulty breathing or they're having fevers? Absolutely not. That's the greatest lesson I've learned. That's why I wanted to start this channel. When I, because I didn't know, even as a healthcare worker, as an ICU worker for nine years, I felt like I was very experienced. I worked at crazy, you know, number one hospital in the country. Like I saw a bunch of things. I thought I knew it all. Um, I, I feel like you don't know about death and dying unless you're working around death and dying all the time, like a natural death, a natural death. And our bodies take care of ourselves and our bodies are built to die. And, and I, I know that because I've seen it over and over and over again. And I hate to use the word magical because it sounds silly, like, and it's magical, but it is, it is truly magical what our body does for us. So our body has all of these natural processes they go through when, when it's dying a natural death, meaning it could be dying from something, right? A disease, but it, we're still not doing any interventions to keep this person alive. And when, when, that, when that happens, the body will slowly um, do certain things to shut down. And it happens to almost everybody. I would say like 9.9 .9 out of 10, right? There's always those few that like it goes a little different, but very rarely does that happen. And the same things happen. And you can tell when someone's not okay because they're like a baby. Like when a baby's not okay, they'll tell you. It's restless, it's fussy, it's whining, it's doing things to say, I'm not all right. And the body will do the same thing. So you can, I can see when some changes in breathing, totally normal. And that's, that's our body, um, our body shutting down. And, and if it, if they're uncomfortable, you can tell because they will be restless. There'll be restlessness with it. Um, fevers can be a little uncomfortable because all of us have had fevers. So in general, I would say you, we can use cooling measures like cool cloths on their chest or like any armpit area or back of the neck. It can really help. Um, and like the modeling of the skin, very normal. Um, any kind of facial expressions, really normal. I was just witnessing someone today, like um, as they were actively dying and their body was doing all types of stuff. And But I could tell the person was, looked very, very peaceful, but the body is just shutting down. And to me, it really takes care of her. To me, it really takes care of itself. Um, so no, I, I, I very rarely see uh, a non-peaceful death during the actively dying phase. Don't get me, there are definitely times when people are not peaceful, but that actively dying phase, which is a few hours to a few days, very rarely do I see it look different. And very rarely do I see someone that's showing me signs of distress. Everything I see is usually a normal part of death and dying. And um, yeah, our bodies do it all. 
Can you share with us some of the rituals that people will do, like leave windows open? I am lear- I am just learning about this too, because um, the, the main ones I see are the ones I posted just the other day. Uh, covering mirrors, um, inc- like everything, all the, I was surprised because they even had like special, there was this huge closet with full mirrors and they had like special things already built to like put on the mirrors. I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, you guys are like, it wasn't like a sheet. It was like a, it was like something they had already made. So covering the mirrors, which different, depending on the different, uh, like different uh, places or cultures have different reasons. So the reason that I um, heard about my last patient was that um, they don't want the soul to see the body. So the soul can separate itself from the body and leave a little easier. Um, and then opening a window so the soul can leave. So those are the two main ones that I see a lot. Um, a lot of Irish people, uh, people from Ireland wrote in that so they leave food outside for the soul or the dead. Um, I can't remember where this was from, but someone said they don't watch TV or listen to music for 40 days after someone dies. Hmm. Um, another culture where it's black for seven days. I wish I could remember exactly what the, what cultures they were. Um, so many people wrote in. It was really cool. Um, what's another cool one? Black for seven days. Oh, I love the the Jewish uh, the Jewish tradition for covering the mirrors is so you can mourn internally and not see yourself externally to like care about how you look. Hmm. So you're not like focused on that. You're more focused on like grieving internally and not focused about not uh, focused on um, how you appear to the outside world. I like that one. Would you consider yourself religious or spiritual? Spiritual, for sure. I feel like I had a religious period of my life and uh, which was not from my parents. I kind of grew into that. Like I said, I was a seeker for many years. I still am, uh, but it's kind of getting finalized. I feel like, um, and the closer I got to religion, the more I thought um, I'm spiritual, you know, I was getting like really religious and the more religious I got, the more I was like, oh, this is not correct, at least in my opinion, right? I mean, I also know that like you can, everyone, uh, if I believe that like all religions are okay, then I also believe, you know, so to me, it's like, it's all okay. But that's what I learned. The closer I got, the, the more into a religion I got, the more I was like, this is just all about love. And that's it for me anyway. Some of my near-death experiencers have encountered Jesus during their NDEs. Have you heard any of your patients say that they saw Jesus? Yes, totally. Most of them are Christian already, though. I haven't had anyone not Christian see Jesus. Um, but I have had um, people trying to think of other religions, if they if other religious uh, religion saw people I'm sure I'm sure I honestly can't I, like this kind of stuff happens like so often that it's you would you think I'd always remember every cool story but mm-hmm. I don't I don't I don't so um I mean I'm an American I feel like 
we're in America, it's, it's, it's very Christian in general. So there's a lot of um, Christians around so that people have encountered Jesus or certain like archangels, things like that. Um, I'm trying to think if I had anyone other than Jesus. I'm sure I have, but I can't remember. Um, I love me some Jesus. I do love me some Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I always say that. I go, I love me some Jesus, but I don't think it's the only way. That's from my experience. I don't think I've never seen people always ask if I've seen like the opposite of heaven. Mm-hmm. Never. Mm-hmm. Seen some like weird things, but I didn't never felt like someone was going to a bad place. That's good. I've had a few NDEs people experience hell or something hell like really oh yeah. i gotta listen to your i gotta listen to your thing yeah i've yeah, even had this will be a good question i've even had some people during their nde go to other planets or encounter aliens have you had anything like that no no one said no one said anything like that to me but they haven't come back right all of, right. i haven't had people come back what do you think happens after we die I don't know, but I think it's, here's my generality. And maybe I'm being naive, but this is what I've witnessed is it seems good. It seems um, like everybody goes, I think, like, I don't think it's different. I think it's good for everybody. And I think it's going to feel like home. That's like that feeling of like, I feel like if when I die, I'm going to die and then I'm going to wake up in the place that I've always known that I like, forgot that I, you know, like it's to me, it's going to be like, Oh yeah, I can't believe I forgot this place. This is my home. Um, and I'm back. So that's what I think it's like, I don't know how or why, but I think it'll be like that. And maybe uh, I also think it could be more energy focused than actual like hard desks and pillows and bodies and, it feels like there's some kind of transference of energy somehow where we exist in another way that we don't know, that we don't understand in this, in this space. Have you ever had anybody tell you that they had an NDE like experience and got a sample of it? Not for my work. No, but I mean, I've had from TikTok, TikTokers and just listening and, you know, being fascinated with that, with that kind of stuff, but not from my job. Like Not just even job, no. a patient that would say, you know, I was, I, I was in this energetic place. It was really beautiful. And, and, but I'm back here and I can't wait to go back there or something like that. Oh. <laughs> I haven't, I have had one person that I would consider a miracle, but they didn't describe it. They didn't say anything like that. They just lived when they shouldn't. Really? It was very, yeah, it was, it was, I consider, I consider it a miracle. I consider it, um, and I'm sharing this here first. This is the only time I've actually shared what I'm about to share. Right. So I usually just tell the story about how I feel like I witnessed a miracle. But what, ha- so there was a person who was coming on to service. They were coming on late, meaning like I was going to be working late because they, they were coming to their house and it was late and I knew it was going to take a long time. So I was kind of like, when it's that you're kind of like rushing and trying to get stuff done. And then I realized what's happening, which is she's young and she has young children. So young children, like in their twenties, but they don't know what's happening. You can tell they have no clue that their mom is like going to die tonight. And once the second I saw her, I didn't know either. 
nothing was really told to us, but I was meeting them at their house from the hospital. And the second I saw her, I was like, because I knew she was going to go like any minute. You can just tell it's there's it's very obvious that her breathing was changing. She had what we call the death rattle, which is terminal secretions, changes in skin color, total totally mottled, which means you have no circulation to your hands and feet. All of the signs that she's going to be taking her last breath like tonight. And you could tell her children did not understand this because they were talking about like physical therapy and like, you know, they just were not understanding this is where mom was at. So I got her settled and thinking to myself, like, she's really going to die any minute here. So I need to tell the kids really quick so they can go be with their mom before she dies. So I'm trying to explain to them, like, you know, your mom's dying, whatever. Long story short, I tried to tell them, you know, I told them all the things and they were calling family to get everybody over there because she was going to die that night. And I was kind of hanging out thinking, She's going to die like any minute. So I'm just going to leave. If the second I leave, I'm going to have to come back because she's going to die. And I was over her body and I closed my eyes. And I don't normally, I don't normally pray over people. It's not like, I feel like it's almost inappropriate, especially as a hospice nurse, you just sort of do your thing. And, um, but I wasn't obviously praying, but in my mind, I was like, just praying that like, it goes really peaceful and everything's fine because like her kids are freaking out and no one, no one's prepared for this. And in my mind, I saw a huge angel, huge, 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 huge. And I don't see these things. So I remember thinking like, whoa, this huge angel that was standing over her, bigger than I would think angels would be. Um, and I was kind of like thinking in my head, okay. And, and also, I don't know if you experienced this, but when things like that happen to me, it's hard for me not to think I'm making this up in my head. Like I'm putting this image in my head for some reason. I don't know why. Um, so I kind of like fluff it off. I don't really even think about it until. So I tell the kids I have to go. I'm leaving and I leave. And then I tell them to call the office when she dies and we'll come back out. Blah, blah, blah. And then I wake up, I go to bed and I wake up in the morning and there was no calls. You can check the, you check the um, on call sheet to see who called and who died and da, da, da. And no one had called. And I was like, the hell, why didn't they call where, what happened to her, blah, blah, blah. And then I call, she is awake. (laughs) She's out of bed. She's eating pancakes. She's laughing with her children, uh, completely back to life. And she was maybe not dead, but like, I'm talking, she, I would consider her already dead because of how she looked. Wow. So I go over there because I'm kind of like, now I have to prepare them that she had the rally because there's a whole other phenomenon called a rally where people uh-huh. get better and then die. So then I went over there to be like, try to be happy slash just so you know, like sometimes people will get really well and then they die suddenly. She didn't. And now she did die, but not for three more months. Three months she was active, walking, doing her thing. Her family could prepare everything. And to me, that was a miracle. To me, that was a miracle because she was dead. I mean, I guess she hadn't taken her last breath, but her body, I mean, her body showed that her organs had been shutting down. Her her body was half purple. You know, she wasn't breathing. She wasn't cognitively there. She was fully unresponsive. And then to just suddenly be okay and eating pancakes the next morning, that does not happen. That does not happen. Wow. 
And the part that I never tell is the angel part. <laughs> it's the angel part. Yeah. You know, it was really wild was while you were telling this story and it could probably easily be explained that the way your camera's adjusting to your movements. But when you were explaining that your room got super bright. Oh, wow. And I wow. was just kind of look, listening to you, but watching this, the change of the light in your room. And I was like, is this really happening or is it just her moving? But if you go back and watch this, because I was like, yeah. who knows? You know? Who knows, right? Who knows? It's interesting that you mentioned the death rally because maybe a lot of people don't know about that. Yeah, that happens in about one third of hospice and palliative care patients. Um and it's very specific. So it's like someone looks like they're dying uh, close to, maybe not as close as that woman that I was just describing, but you know, having very poor days over and over and over again, mostly unconscious, mostly sleeping. And then suddenly they will perk up and it'll be a pretty, I mean, I guess it depends on the person, but it's usually pretty extreme. So they're usually like suddenly able to like eat a cheeseburger and French fries and talk and laugh and and kind of um, their old personality is back. They have more energy. They can maybe even walk after not walking for two weeks. So it's very shocking. And then the, the, the thing that makes it the rally is that they die shortly after. So it's usually like within the day, a few hours later, they'll die. Or they'll die that night. They'll die that, that morning. It usually doesn't last longer than one or two days. And if it does, it's not the rally. So like that woman I described, I wouldn't consider that the rally because she lived for three more months, four more months. That's not the rally. The rally is downhill, shoot up and you have a burst of energy and then you crash and die. Um, and we don't know why it happens. I mean, there's definitely theories, right, of like adrenaline or um, certain hormones being secreted that cause someone to get well for a little bit, but there's nothing that's really proven. Besides the gift that you got from that patient, do you feel like you've gotten any other gifts from being a hospice nurse? Yes. <laughs> People think my job is depressing. It is It is such the opposite of that, truly. I used to come home from the ICU and my, and this is me, so everyone's different, right? But my personality, my chest would be tight. I just felt like I wasn't helping anybody, even though, of course, we were. In hospice, it doesn't feel like that at all. It feels like constant gratitude, like you're constantly helping people. People are usually relieved that there's a, finally a person willing to talk about difficult things. Even if they may be resistant at first, you can almost always, very rarely am I ever met with someone being like mad that I'm finally talking about stuff. Um, most people look relieved. And the greatest gift that I think I can witness is the love that is, is shown like in, it's like love in action. People like today, just today, I was sitting with, um, I went, when someone's actively dying, we send a nurse every day, not to sit there and be with them forever, but just to kind of check in to see how it's going, to explain to the family what's normal, what's not. Well, it's all kind of normal, but explaining that it's all normal. And to see the, the family members all sitting around the bed, all rubbing the patient, all holding the person's hand, and then 
crying in her mitten. It's like, cause they're so, cause they're uncomfortable, right? They're grieving They're They have this loss. It's hard for them, but they're still there because of love because they love this person. And it's like to sit in the uncomfortableness of that and to sit in the uncomfortableness of, of it doesn't look the greatest sometimes, you know, their loved one doesn't look like themselves. Their loved one may need to be changed. And, and that's not fun to change your loved one. So it's like painful but they still do it. And to me, that's like the greatest act of love because you're, this is what love is like doing these hard things that uh, no one wants to do because you love them so much. So like witnessing that over and over again is, is uh, it's incredible. What is the number one thing that we should all do before dying? Talk about it. <laughs> that's very general, but really we need to talk about it. We need to talk about what we want. We need to talk about what we would want in different scenarios. Like we should all know what each other wants. Like if I have a stroke and I can no longer swallow, do I want a tube feed? If I, you know, like I know it sounds so like there's very specific things, but like you need to specifically tell your family members what you'd want. Do you want to be kept alive on a feed, um, on a, on a breathing machine? If so, for how long? Would you ever like, um, would you want chest compressions if you suddenly, uh, and then you can, so like, it's hard. People are like, well, I'll do that later. Right. Well, you can, I think everyone can do it now. Like right now I would say, yes, I do want that because I'm young and healthy. And if my heart suddenly stops for whatever reason, yes, give me CPR. But if I'm 85, uh, you know, or whatever, anyone can do full CPR if they want, but I mean, it can change. So even though it may change, you should still talk about no matter how old or, or young you are. Um, because it's going to help your loved ones immensely if they already know, so they don't have to make those difficult decisions and get your mortuary implants in place. There's so many, I can't tell you one. There's so many to do. (laughs) There's so much to do. (laughs) Do your friends and family like discussing your job or do they shy away from it? Some shy away and some like it. My mom, like I always joke because uh, I'm like, you know, hospice nurse Julie, and I still have a mom that's like, watch your videos, you know, <laughs> she's coming around. She's coming around. She just called me today being like, Aunt Joanne, watched your videos and she loves them. I'm like, I'm glad someone does mom. <laughs> you know, so it depends. And and I will say, I tell her this, that's not going, that's going to, that's going to be to her detriment when she's older. Really people who refuse to believe that they will die or don't want to talk about it usually suffer more at the end of life. Hmm. Not to scare you. Interesting. But it's true. More people that don't want to, that don't want to look at it and just refuse to believe anything usually suffer a lot more. Suffer in what way? Uh, Like an existential way. Like um, emotionally, they like people who like cannot let go uh, tend to have more symptoms, tend to have more terminal agitation and restlessness. Uh, and just sort of struggle more. We, they eventually get there because their body eventually is just like, listen, we don't care if you don't want to go like you're, you know, and they just, it just stops. Right. But like, but there's a lot more struggle. There's a lot more struggle. That's why young people, um, and I don't blame them. I'm not sitting here blaming if, you know, but young people struggle a lot more. I feel like at the end of life and during the, the, especially the very end of the dying process, because they don't want to go and their body, they don't want to let go. And I, I do, I do understand that, but, 
Yeah, in general, what I've seen, like one of the biggest messages I wanted people to know when I started this channel was that like acceptance really is the answer. That sounds annoying, you know, but it is like people I've seen that accept reality of what seem to have a better life and a more peaceful death. People who don't, don't have a peaceful life and don't have a peaceful death. And um, at least not, they, they usually do. Once you're actively dying, it, it's usually always mostly peaceful no matter who you are or what you're doing. But uh, until then, it can be a struggle. Mm. Yeah. All right. So we can find you on TikTok as Hospice Nurse Julie. Are you the same on Instagram? Yes. Hospice Nurse Julie across the board. Even on YouTube now. Yep. On YouTube now too. Yeah. Well, what are you working on that you want us to know about? So this weekend, the 22nd of January, myself and Johanna Lunn are doing a Q&A. And Johanna Lunn made a documentary called In the Realm of Death and Dreaming, uh, which is amazing. I've watched it a bunch of times. Um, so that Q&A also includes uh, the documentary. So you can, the link to the tickets are on my um Instagram or TikTok. There's a link on the top, or you could just Google in the realm of death and dreaming. You'd see tickets there, but tickets include that documentary and which you can stream anywhere worldwide in the comfort of your own home. And then the documentary is on the 22nd, 6 PM um, Eastern standard time, which if you can make it live, it's streaming. That's great. And if you can't make it live, it'll be recorded and sent out to you. But also they just sent a link too with a bunch of extras, like a bunch of extras from the film they just showed me. So that's great. But that's the newest thing that I'm doing this weekend. And uh, it's been exciting. It's been fun. After watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions. Are you open to that? And if so, how do they reach you? I am open to that. I would say on Instagram, they can direct message me or they could try to email me. I feel like I'm quicker at Instagram. That's some you think different, but you can send voice memos on Instagram and it's just easier. So they can DM me on Instagram. Um, if you follow me, it'll be easier because then you'll go directly to my thing. If you don't follow me, then I'll go into a different mailbox. But, um, and then if, if they don't want to do that, they can also email me at the same name, hospice nurse, Julie at gmail.com. And I do get to those. It just takes a little longer. Yeah, I was thinking because I think you have like 40,000 or more followers on Instagram. So mm -hmm. I'm wondering how many messages do you get? It must be a ton. It fluctuates. It fluctuates. Sometimes it's a ton. Sometimes it's okay. And I usually try to respond. I won't respond to medical advice. So anyone asking for a medical, just FYI, anyone, I have to be careful with that. I can't give medical advice via a social media app. Sure. Um, but if people have questions about, you know, my father-in-law died last year and, and they say da, 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 I don't, it's, it's pretty easy for me to voice respond. And I want the message to get out that things that the people are with, things that people are witnessing at the end of life are normal. And I feel like not only am I helping them by answering them, they're going to tell other people and other people and other people. And I hope it just sort of spreads out that like we can talk about this stuff. And a lot of what people are witnessing is very normal, hmm. very normal. And it doesn't have to be, I think because it's so unknown, it feels scary. But uh, the more it's known, it might not be as scary, hopefully. That's what I'm hoping for. Have you ever wondered that maybe hundreds of years ago or thousands of years ago, people knew more about death and they've kind of avoided it in modern times? Yes. I always think about that. <laughs> like watching... Um, 
I was just watching Braveheart randomly on a plane <laughs> and all these people dying in battle and then what they did with the bodies afterwards and the young son wa helping wash one of like his brother and his dad. And I thought this is, yes, like that, that looks, um, it looks really scary to us, but look at that. Look, look how young he is seeing death and seeing bodies. And, you know, I, I think we don't need to be so hush hush about it. We don't need to put like grandpa dying in a bed in the corner in the other room where kids don't see and make it hush hush. And um, that's putting fear. That's making it seem like it's something bad or wrong. And really it's the most natural thing. So I feel like back in the day, they were, they were much, there was so much, uh, it was closer. Funerals were in homes, you know, people didn't have a funeral home to go to. It was in the house. Um, I think that's beautiful. Hmm. So yes, I do think it's different. Before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? I think I want to meet everybody where they're at. So like, if you fear death or that's something that you fear or struggle with or have anxiety about, I always like to tell people that it's okay. It's okay. And it's normal. And they're not alone. And just because they have fear of that, doesn't mean they like, I feel like the, the start of to trying to dissipate that fear is acknowledging it and being okay with it and knowing that it's normal and starting there, almost like releasing that resistance to the fear can kind of get it out of the way so you can learn and educate yourself um, and learn that coming from me, an expert in death and dying, because I witnessed it so many times, that um, to me, there's nothing to fear. I don't want to. I don't want to sound so. Uh, I feel like that sounds so. Like I'm dismissing it all, but truly, that's that is what I've learned. There's there's nothing to fear. That's that's what I've learned. And I and so if you need someone else to help you carry you through, have the courage to learn about why there's nothing to fear. Like there's people like me out there that that know and that have been around it a lot. So. Uh, meet yourself where you're at, know you're normal to fear it, and uh, just start there. And if you can educate yourself, it can. Uh, I've heard from a lot of people that educating, um, like my videos or anyone's videos who are talking about this, have helped them fear it less. Um, so I didn't really set out to help with that, but it seems to, it seems I have. So that's great. That was a long-winded thing, Jeff. That's okay. <laughs> Sorry. No, I don't have to apologize. And thank you for that message. And Julie, thank you so much for being our guest today. I really appreciate you. And I wish you continued success in social media and anything else that you're up to. Thank you. Same, same, same. I can't, I'm looking forward to listening to some of your, um, your YouTube channel. It sounds so interesting. I love it. Thank you. All right. We'll have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. That was fun. All right. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.